Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. It's Fizz Radio on the score 1260. Brad Klein and Thomas Schultz with you. And Fizz Radio is on every Saturday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. So hop aboard. We're taking you up until the 10 o'clock hour. And Thomas, a lot to unpack today. Syracuse football has a new schedule. So take a deep sigh of relief. Cautiously optimistic. We will apparently have ACC football in 2020. We'll tell you everything you need to know. Matthew Gutierrez from The Athletic debates our top 100 athletes countdown. And if you missed that that countdown, just check it out on our website, orangefizz.net, or, or follow us on Twitter, at orangefizz. And by the way, if you miss any bit of that interview, you're not going to want to because Matthew Gutierrez is as tuned in to Syracuse as any other beat writer on the Hill. But check out the podcast on orangefizz.net if you miss a second. And then finally, at the end, we'll hear from you, Orange Nation, on Fizz Feedback. But, Thomas, we begin today with the ACC's COVID-19 protocols. And the plan was released earlier in the week. A lot to unpack here. But, again, cautiously optimistic. This is the roadmap to 2020 ACC football. And some of these bullet points make sense. Some of them don't. First and foremost, testing each week makes sense. Indisputable. Would expect nothing less. But testing each week within three days of a game. So a Wednesday test ahead of a Saturday game, to me, this just doesn't seem like enough. And and that's going to be a motif here. It's not enough because the ACC is trying to do something that's never been accomplished before, play a contact sport amid a global pandemic. But it's not enough. How long does it take to contract the virus? They can get it on Thursday or Friday and then lace up and actually go play on the gridiron, spread it in the trenches. Yeah, I just think, look, credit the ACC where credit's due. They're doing everything they can to get an actual season going. The feasibility just, there's a lot of doubt in my mind. I do like the schedule where you have 10 conference games instead of, you know, going all over the place and playing a lot of non-conference games. Because if you play in the ACC, you can kind of control what other teams are doing testing-wise. Now, Brad, to your point, is that test on Wednesday enough it just it doesn't seem like it. I mean, we've seen what's happened to the MLB recently, and that just hasn't worked. And those guys are testing even more no. than once a week, and it just hasn't been feasible. Now, will that work for Syracuse and the ACC? I don't see any reason why it should when it didn't work for the MLB. Yeah, and, and the last thing you want is to pull a Major League Baseball, and they have, what, 17 positive cases after four games, three games for the Marlins, it's just a nightmare right now, and that entire season is in limbo. And I think it's interesting that the ACC chose to pursue a fall season because, to me, it just seems like they're keeping that spring window for a, as a fallback. If a Miami Marlins occurs in the ACC, they can say, hey, we're pausing everything, we're going to wait for this to blow over, and then continue the second half in the spring. I wouldn't completely rule that out. Now, some of the other safety protocols detailed on the schedule, positive test results must be reported immediately within a minimum of 24 hours, all equipment facilities must be cleaned regularly, ball boys, anyone who touches the football other than refs and players must wear masks and gloves. That all makes sense. But Thomas, there are some here that they're just insulting to my intelligence. All players on the sideline must wear a mask. 
Of course, everyone always has to wear a mask everywhere, including players, unless they're wearing a helmet. Are you kidding me, Thomas? If only we knew that the cure to the coronavirus was a football helmet. Think of all the trouble we would have saved. Come on, this is ridiculous. A face mask is actually going to stop the, the, the COVID-19 pandemic. You got to be kidding me. Well, no, I mean, it's it's absolutely ridiculous, Brad. You're right. It's just, I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I agree with you that it's just kind of insulting to your intelligence because it's clear that, look, of course you want to get a season played. Of course you want to have this ACC championship, whatever it might be. But you got to be safe, and that's got to be first and foremost. And when you're on the field in a contact sport, you're going to have guys hit each other. You're going to have a lot of contact. And if one guy has it, that could spread very easily in a face mask, like you said is not the same as an actual mask that can protect you from the virus. And look, I, I'm glad that everybody on the sideline has to wear it. Of course, that should be right away, should should have been, should be installed. But right. even then, I don't know that that's going to necessarily happen. I mean, we look at other sports. I'll go back to the MLB again. There's been all these things like you can't high five, you can't do this, you can't do that. And guys are doing it anyway. And maybe it's <laughs> yeah. different because it's at a college level versus a pro level and maybe... I don't know, administrations and athletics departments can have more of a heavy fist on these players and just really implement these things like they should be doing, but it hasn't worked in other sports where there's much less contact. If there's any contact, why in the world will it ever work in football? I just, look, I don't want to be a a downer here, but I think I'm being a realist here. I, I just don't think it's going to be, be something that works. Brad Klein and Thomas Schultz with you unpacking the ACC's plan ahead of the COVID-19 season here. Uh, We're going to break down the schedule on the other side, but we're just breaking down right now the safety protocols, which is the first, second, and third priority. And we detail all of this, the safety protocols, the schedule, everything you need to know about ACC football next season on our website, orangefizz.net. So check it out. And Thomas, a slippery slope, but a question that has to be asked. What if? What if a player tests positive and the ACC said that anyone who tests positive has to isolate for 10 days and wait for for the symptoms to go away, then test negative? That all makes sense. And again, like the first half of everything they say, I completely subscribe to. And then they say something else. The second half just makes no sense to me. Institutional staff is going to monitor this. A team doctor, a team physician. I need ACC officials telling me when it's safe for my players to play. I don't want any room for interpretation. No, I need the ACC to step in and regulate this. The fact that it's up to the teams, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I I agree. I just think, look, this isn't something that you can handle like any other injury or illness or whatever it might be. This is a global pandemic going on, and you need – ACC officials, you need the highest authority you can find versus yeah. every team having their own guys. I don't know. I mean, I agree. I think I, I trust all of the training staffs from each team to be able to do what they do in this pandemic. I just would rather have ACC officials because you'd rather have the highest authority possible versus these guys who are these professionals who are good at their jobs. But this is just something that a realm that has never been dealt with before. And, and you want the people who institute the rules for the whole conference overlooking every team and every player and saying oh okay this person has it this is what we're going to do about it and there's just a lot of pitfalls in this plan even though as good as it may seem on the surface 
And don't get me wrong, I completely understand what I'm asking the ACC to do, which is police the protocols, which is something that is virtually impossible. Stay six feet away from everyone. Wear a mask at all times. That's all well and good, and I completely expect it, and, and they're completely warranted in saying you have to do these things, but you can't police that. This you can police. I need an ACC official to actually regulate this. And Jared May alluded to this on, on a FizzCast that I did with him yesterday, or actually earlier in the week, which is, hey, what if a team has an important player test positive and they clear him before he's ready? before he's actually, the systems have dissipated, and they clear him before he's actually good to go. Now, you would hope that a program would not stoop to that level just for a competitive advantage, but you can never rule it out. And if you're the ACC, are you really willing to take that risk? Yeah, I mean, see, that one I don't think is going to happen, and I know college football is just this incredibly competitive sport, yeah. and guys are just, they're on the clock, whether it's recruiting, whether they're coaching at 24-7. It's crazy. But I just, I I would be very shocked if any coach said, I'm going to clear this guy because he's too important, even though he may still be contagious. Because even though it might help you in that game, it's going there's going to be such immense backlash of that coach that you're going to get suspended, if not worse, as a coach. And it's just, in this weird season, as it is, I mean, I think there's going to be an asterisk at the end of the year, no matter what happens, if we Maybe. have a championship, whatever it might be, if we get that far, I just don't think it's worth it from a coach and just the stupidity to do that. I, I, I realize the competitiveness of the sport, but at the same time, there's going to be such countrywide backlash of that coach and that coaching staff that I I could not see that possibly happening. And hopefully I'm right. Hopefully I'm not wrong. And these guys are like, you know what? We need so-and-so on the field no matter what. And we'll have a different discussion if that happens. Oh, fingers crossed. That is the epitome of a lack of institutional control, something we hear a lot of, actually, in the ACC from head coaches that just don't have a grasp on things. And Thomas and Thomas and I are on Fizz Radio here breaking down the ACC safety protocols ahead of the COVID-19 2020 season. And so, again, we're cautiously optimistic about Syracuse football come 2020. And Thomas, I'm reading this report, and it's a lot of beefy legal writing, some fine print in there, and I had a tough time reading it. Not because I'm not a good reader. I'm a great reader, okay? I actually pride myself in being a good reader. The problem was, it was a warning. Now, glass half full guy would tell you, hey, this is how we're going to get it done. This is how we're going to have football in 2020. It's not what we want, but it's what we get, and there's de- it's definitely better than the, than the alternative which is nothing. But at the end of the report, ACC released a a disclaimer saying games can be canceled for a multitude of reasons, including an inability to isolate a player who tested positive, an outbreak at a school, and there's more. That was a huge gut check to me because I'm reading this report thinking, okay, I guess this is how we get it done okay, if this happens, they're going to do this. I guess that makes sense. This could be better, but hey, it's better than nothing. And then it's a reminder. Hey, remember, this is a global pandemic and this is a contact sport. Even if we do everything right, this can still spread. And that, to me, just sent a huge chill down my spine. 
Well, and I think also that just shows how serious the ACC is actually taking this. Yes, they want to get these games played. Yes, they want to have an actual season. But at the end of the day, they realize that no matter what happens, you might just have to cancel the season or postpone the season, whatever it might be, because there's just going to be things that you cannot control this year, right? I mean, there's going to be guys that get sick, potentially, hopefully not, but you never know what will happen. And I, I mean... Kudos to the ACC for doing everything it can do, and I, I think all the conferences will follow similar suit. But at the same time, you have to have that realistic outlook where it's like, look, things can happen, and if we can't control them, the best scenario that we can do is just cancel games, cancel the season, and just call it a wash and say, hey, look, we tried, it didn't work, but we gave it a shot. So that's how it affects the entire conference, but how does the COVID-19 safety protocols and the approach to the 2020 season affect Syracuse? Well, They have a new schedule, and Thomas and I will break it down on the other side. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Fizz Radio on The Score 1260. Welcome back to Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. Brad Klein and Thomas Schultz with you. And Fizz Radio is on every Saturday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. So pack your bags. We're taking you until the 10 o'clock hour. And before the break, Thomas, we were unpacking the COVID-19 safety protocols that the ACC released earlier in the week. Now it's time to talk about the new schedule. Syracuse has a new one and every team has a new one. Games are going to begin the week of September 7th, the week of September 12th. 15 teams with the addition of Notre Dame, no divisions, just one mega conference, 11 games per team, 10 conference games, five home, five away, and then one non-conference game, and the non-conference teams will have to follow ACC COVID-19 restrictions for two weeks prior to the matchup. So right now, Syracuse has their home opponents, they have their away opponents, and Thomas, it's a little unbalanced here. The home schedule is pretty light, the away schedule is a gauntlet. Yeah, so at home is Boston College, Duke, Georgia Tech, NC State, and Wake Forest. A pretty pretty easy schedule and could lead to a few wins for the Orange. Away is Clemson, Louisville, North Carolina, Notre Dame, and <laughs> Pittsburgh. So the ACC essentially said, all right, we'll give you some easy home games, but you're going to just have to deal with a lot of problems on the road. And you might think, <laughs> oh, North Carolina, they're they're pretty easy. No, they were above 500 last year. They've got a top five recruiting class this year. Mac Brown mm-hmm. is turning that program around that. I mean, that is just an incredibly difficult schedule. But I mean, on the bright side, you're looking pretty good at home. So maybe there's some advantages there as well. Well, the big question is how much will that home field advantage actually factor into these games? because presumably we're not going to have fans. And we've heard discussions, Ohio State's thinking about 20% capacity. Even if teams have limited capacity, how much will that actually factor into the game? I don't know. That's the really the question. Do you have any thoughts on that, about how Death Valley might actually look for Syracuse on the road this year? I mean, I would imagine to be pretty light. I doubt there are fans there, but even so, I mean, without fans, you're still playing the Clemson Tigers regardless. So yeah. I think, I mean, you're in a tough position, whether they're fans or not. I guess it's a little bit easier without fans. My question is, how much has Syracuse helped in its home games? Because in the Dome, generally, you know, you got a lot of fans. You, It's a pretty raucous crowd. And against Boston Dome College, field advantage. Yeah, I, I mean, I think... I think that's where Syracuse would benefit the most. Whether there's fans or not, they're going to be huge underdogs against Clemson, Louisville, the Notre Dames of the world. 
But when you face teams that are kind of in the similar position, similar tier that you are, like the Boston Colleges, the Wake Forest of the world, how does that change things without fans? And do you not have that advantage that maybe you once did? I think, yeah, that probably is how it will work out for Syracuse in that regard. Um, It's just not going to be the same as with the fans there. See, Thomas, fans or no fans, I think Syracuse has the toughest schedule in the ACC this year. I mean, for them to draw Clemson and Notre Dame on the road, let's even take away the road factor for a second. If you're not a believer in empty stadiums are still an advantage for the home team, then fine. I'm not going to argue with you. But Syracuse was not expecting to play Notre Dame this year. They weren't even in the conference. So to play Clemson and Notre Dame in this amended schedule, that's a tough draw. Miami only plays Clemson. Louisville only plays Notre Dame. Syracuse plays the two-headed monster of the ACC. Right, it's it's not going to be easy. And look, even if there are no fans there, you still got to travel away to the opposing stadium, whereas yeah. if you're Clemson, you just got to walk over and show up the day of the game. So there's got to be some maybe travel fatigue that is normal, and I don't know how much this affects these guys since they're pretty used to that, but you'd have to take that into account. And I think Syracuse just, it's going to be a really, really tough season for them. They, I mean, I think you essentially have to go undefeated at home to have hmm. a re- or four or five at home to have a reasonable shot at a bowl game. It's not going to be easy at all. Well, I don't even know what the bowl game right. format if there is might bowl even games. look like. <laughs> I don't see an exorbitant amount of bowl games in the future. I don't see the, I don't know, what's the most ridiculous bowl that you can think of? Uh, the Tax Slayer Bowl. Sure, the Tax Slayer Bowl. Yeah, I, I don't see that happening. Nothing has actually officially been said about that, but it just seems like to me, even though it's a lot of money for all these programs, it just seems like to me you're already getting 11 games, presumably if the other conferences follow this format. You're already getting 11 games during a pandemic. Don't get greedy. Don't travel to God knows where to play in the Tax Slayer Bowl. I don't see that happening. Syracuse has a very tough schedule. For me, Thomas, the only silver lining about their schedule is that they don't have to go play in Florida. Florida State, Miami, not on their road schedule. That is huge. Because, honestly, if I were a player, I would seriously consider opting out of a season. A, if I played for Miami or Florida State and I had to actually consistently play and make contact with people in the state of Florida... But also, I would seriously consider opting out if I was an opposing team that was forced to go down to the Sunshine State. You do not want to play, let alone go, to Florida right now. No, you definitely don't. I mean, I think Syracuse, if we're talking pandemic-wise, they're looking fairly good with having NC State and Wake Forest come up to the hill. I am a North Carolina resident, so I know that the pandemic is uh, pretty bad in North Carolina right now. Going to North Carolina to play UNC, that's not a great game. I mean, I guess Clemson's probably not going to be great either in South Carolina, mm-hmm. even though you're in rural South Carolina. It, I, I think, I don't know. I mean, either even if you're in Miami or you're Florida State, you're still following ACC protocol. And granted, this is, in the if, in this hypothesis or this whatever it might be, this imaginative scenario, you're assuming that the ACC protocol is good enough, Right. And if it's good enough, then if you're Miami or you're Florida State, then you're probably in the clear. The problem is, yeah, but, but is Thomas, it good that's enough? that's what the Marlins were thinking. The Marlins <laughs> right. thought that the MLB protocols was good, were good enough. The Phillies thought that. And now, 17 positive tests later, no one wants to go play the Marlins in Miami. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think really it's just, it's not 
enough. It's not good enough. And I don't think you can... Look, the ACC is taking every measure they possibly can. And even so, that doesn't mean it's going to be an acceptable way to play the game, right? Like, you can do everything you want to do to make it as safe as possible. But that doesn't mean it's going to be safe for the players. And I think the Marlins obviously found that out. Yeah, absolutely. Now, we don't know exactly where these games will be played relative to one another. We just have who they're playing at home, who they're playing on the road. So, of course, the actual schedule layout will have something to do with this. But I'm predicting 5-5 five and five in conference. I don't know who wow. their non-conference opponent's going to be. But, yeah, 5-5. Five and five. I think they're going to beat Louisville and or Pittsburgh. They're going to have you one or two. Louisville? They could. They could. They could steal a win there. They can... That's the thing. Syracuse is a funny team. Sometimes they play up to opponents, and sometimes they lay an egg. So I'm looking at Pittsburgh, Louisville, and North Carolina on the road. And that's the toss-up. For their season to be even relatively close to successful, they're going to have to win, at the very least, two of those games. Yeah, two of those games. Notre Dame, Clemson, it's a, it's a wash. Pittsburgh, they it's a must-win, in my opinion. And then you have to steal one from Louisville or North Carolina. And I think Syracuse knows that. So give me five and five. I think they're going to win three games at home, two on the road, and they're going to be an even five and five in conference. I am I'm more pessimistic than you, Brad. I think they're going to go <laughs> three and five at home. I don't know who they're going to be, but NC State's not very good. Boston College lost A.J. Dillon. You got Duke, Georgia Tech's kind of on the rise, and Wake Forest. Wake Forest loses Jamie Newman to Georgia. Right. That's a that's a pretty soft home schedule. I think. I mean, to be fair, this was a Syracuse team that went five and seven last year, and you know went months without winning the conference game. So it wasn't like they were setting the world on fire. I and you lose Cam Jordan, who was slotted as a starting receiver. I, Tommy DeVito is going to have to you know work with a. I think a better offensive line, but still some new parts there, new receivers. You don't have Tristan Jackson anymore, even though Taj Harris is still there. You got a new running back, even though Abdul Adams should be good to take over Mo Neal. There's a lot of questions on this team. And then on the road, I mean, you're not beating Clemson. You're not beating Notre Dame. I don't see them beating Louisville. I really don't see them beating North Carolina either with Sam Howell, a quarterback that's a pretty no. good team. No, Mac Brown is likely going to be the ACC coach of the year. Yeah, I mean, I think... Look, I think maybe, I don't know if they beat Pittsburgh, but I think they steal one of those road games. I'd have them as underdogs in all of them. Honestly, I, I only see him winning about four games in conference. Mm-hmm. I, I just yeah. don't, I don't, I don't see them being this really good team because what did we see last year that made us think they were? That's fair. And I, I completely understand four wins just rounded down for a questionable Syracuse team with a questionable offensive line. And again, a big factor here is we don't know who's going to play. We don't know who's going to opt out. Who knows? Maybe a Trevor Lawrence opts out of this season and all of a sudden, I mean, look, Clemson's still going to beat Syracuse without Trevor Lawrence, but all of a sudden it's it's a playable game if you're Syracuse. And same with Notre Dame. They lose some crucial players and you never know. At the same time, Brad, though, you got to flip the script, right? Like, yeah. what if Tommy DeVito doesn't play? Who's the quarterback? <laughs> a good question. And Syracuse is still kind of sort of trying to answer that question on the recruiting trail. They're very shallow at backup quarterback behind DeVito. Now, if either one of our predictions comes true, Syracuse fans don't really have to worry about this. But the top two teams, based on conference game winning percentage, will be playing in the ACC championship, and Notre Dame is eligible for the ACC championship, happening on either December 12th 
or December 19th of 2020. When we come back, Matthew Gutierrez is going to be nostalgic with us. What else during a pandemic? He's going to break down the 80 to 56 range on our SU Top 100 Athletes Countdown. You're not going to want to miss it. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Fizz Radio on the score 1260. Welcome back to Fizz Radio. Brad Klein and Thomas Schultz with you. And Fizz Radio is on the score 1260 every Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. And we are joined with a special guest right now. Matthew Gutierrez from The Athletic is here to debate the 80 to 56 range of our SU Top 100 Athletes Countdown. Matthew, thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you guys so much. Really fun exercise. Glad to participate and looking forward to it. There's a lot to unpack here, and the full list will be released on our website, orangefizz.net. But you've taken a look at this range, 80 to 56. Who's the biggest surprise in your mind? Yeah, you know, looking at this list, first impression was, you know, first of all, I just wanted to uh, commend the, the the list. I think it, it was well done. You know, I don't, I didn't have, these are tough, right, when you, especially when you are going across multiple sports, uh, you know, men's and women's sports too. It can be tough to... To, to give an equal comparison. So uh, with that said, you know, a couple, a couple things jumped out at me. I'd have to probably say Jim Beheim um, was, was one of the bigger surprises in this range, uh, given you know, obviously a Hall of Fame coach, not, not necessarily a uh, stellar career himself, right? Walked on, almost quit the team as a walk-on, and then uh, did eventually rise to team captain alongside Dave Bing, who's, who's uh, way, way uh, up in the list there, up in the top 10. But you know, I think uh, he was probably the biggest surprise for me. What uh, was wondering if, if there maybe was an explanation for 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 Beheim getting up there. Maybe it was um, part of the, the walk on the captain rise, or maybe it was factored into some of his. And you're asking the coach. wrong guy here. I have no idea. The guy averaged okay. <laughs> nine points and three rebounds as a walk on, and there's definitely some bias with him being the head coach. Yeah, I'm sure that the head coach played a role there, uh, which, we, you know, maybe we'll put an asterisk there. Obviously, uh, uh, a remarkable uh, career as a coach. You know, a couple others, we'll probably get to it in a sec, but I thought Kayla Trainer could have uh, probably was a little surprising. She wasn't uh, up more up in the list, right? Not necessarily top 20, but a little higher. I was watching her play uh, was a treat on the women's. Matthew, there's two active there's two active players on this list. Tiana Mangakahia at number 71 and Andre Sisko at number 69. Do you think those two players are adequately ranked in the top 100? Yeah, those those jumped out at me too, right? I think with the with the current players, uh, those two obviously incomplete careers. You know, I think a lot of Syracuse fans hoping we can see Andre uh, one more year. Who knows what's going to happen with this season if it's pushed to the spring? I think there's concern, right, that he's he's just going to you know guys like him might be able to uh, skip right to the draft and not play. Uh, college football and then with Tiana I think we're still waiting for probably her what could be her best season right hopefully we get to see that uh, having gone through cancer and and her uh, great story so I think those two it's tough to compare right with some of the former players because their careers are incomplete Um, you know I think they're they're relatively you know fairly ranked there I think Tiana might be more deserving uh, bumping up there and we'll see what Andre can put together obviously he was an all-american as a freshman one of the first to do that in, in basically half a century so uh, credit to both of them two great players I, you know it's, it's tough again to, to compare the current with the, the former players 
talking to Matthew Gutierrez of The Athletic here, and no one is more tuned in to the Syracuse beat than Matthew over here, so there's no one better to rehash all this nostalgia on our SU Top 100 Athletes Countdown, and we're talking about the 80-56 to 56 range. If you're curious about this list, this range, or the rest of the list, check out orangefizz.net or, our, or follow us on Twitter at orangefizz for updates. Now, Matthew, this is a big one. Marvin Graves was ranked 72nd. Ryan Nassib, 67th. Thoughts oh, boy. on the quarterback. Yeah, tough one there, right? <laughs> um, look, I mean, you know, I don't have the stats in front of me, but uh, you could probably make a good case for uh, switching or, or moving them around a little bit. Where was do, where was Dungey? I don't think he was in this, just for, just for comparison. Do, do you know where he was? I can pull that up for you in just a second. Yeah, no worries. But just you know, for comparison, obviously a, a recent player. Uh, there's been a, there's been a few, right? McNabb obviously was higher up. Uh, those guys, you know, I would probably probably pretty interchangeable. I think I, I didn't uh, particularly those didn't really jump out at me as much as maybe some of the others. So we had a punter at 78, Sterling Hoffrichter, cracking pretty high up on the list. What do you think about him being ranked? Because of course he was fantastic in his Syracuse career, but that's still pretty high in the top 100. Yeah, you know, credit to Sterling for obviously some, some stellar seasons, right? Under the radar guy, Scott Schaefer uh, recruit, you know, initially, and then and then Dino takes over and he plays for Babers his entire career. You know, Sterling get his chance with Atlanta Falcons, um, a stellar a stellar punter. You think about some of those those kicks he was able to boom at only what five foot ten or so. He's not a big guy. Whereas Riley Dixon, who I think is just a few spots behind, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Baker Guy obviously has, has had a pretty productive career so far with the Giants. I thought, you know, to answer your question though, Sterling, um, you know, was maybe a little bit uh, more uh, respected in the rankings than probably he could have been, right? Maybe he's, I'm not sure I'd put him ahead of Riley Dixon. Uh, although, you know, cre- again, credit to Sterling, that's not a, that's not to bash at all on, on what he was able to accomplish. Uh, you know, always respectful in interviews, seemingly a, a really great kid off the field and a good locker room teammate as well. Uh, but, you know, he, the reality is he didn't play on some great teams. He, he did affect field position and help Syracuse win some of those battles under, um, you know, special teams coordinator Justin Lustig and credit to, to both of them that they were they had some of the better special teams uh, squads in the country. But, you know, just given the, the, the relatively smaller role that he plays, I probably wouldn't have put him up there, especially ahead of Riley. Talking to Matthew Gutierrez from The Athletic, debating the 80-56 to 56 range on our SU Top 100 Athletes Countdown. And Matthew, just for reference, Eric Dungy has actually not shown up on our list yet, which means stay tuned. He's ranked higher than Graves and higher than Nassib, and you can find out on orangefizz.net where he actually ends up. All right, yeah, I think I think Eric, obviously deserving, had a really great career, went out on a on a good note, right? In 2018, as a senior for 10 and three season, been through a lot concussion wise. It's, you know, one of those big, what ifs, at least in Syracuse in the last 10 years, what would his career have been, you know, had he not sustained all those, those injuries late in the season, uh, you know, what kind of player would he have been? Would maybe not necessarily an NFL player, but he, you know, his numbers would have gone up and probably Syracuse, uh, that win total too, right? Some of those Novembers were long slow months for the Keats football team. I think, you know, if you have Dungey on the field, freshman, sophomore, junior year. So let's shift over to lacrosse here for a second. There are nine lacrosse players. You alluded to Kayla Trainer, eight men. She's the only woman woman in this range. 
Who's most deserving of being on this list in this range? Who's the best lacrosse player in 80 to 56? That was a tough one. Uh, yeah, Zalberti, uh, Donahue, um, a, few, a couple others. I think, still think, though, you know, going back to the earlier point, Kayla Trainer's probably the best on there. Uh, you know, relatively speaking, she was, she was just outstanding uh, in her career at Q's. And I, I only got to see her in person uh, a few games her senior year. And the way she was able to dominate games was her size and speed and even what she's doing at the pro level. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but some of her highlights have, have occasionally circulated on social, uh, mostly Twitter. I think it's some of the spin moves and she's, she was really creative, uh, for, for several years there, you know, top recruit from, from upstate New York, um, plays for, for coach Gates teams and, and, um, did, did a wonderful job. I think, you know, she wanted that title. That was something that she chased for a while. Didn't, didn't get the national title, couldn't get over the hump over Maryland. Uh, but she turned into, you know, someone who I think had a lot of talent and not necessarily a ferocious worker into, into a ferocious worker late in her career. Uh, I'd probably say she was, she's the most deserving there out of those in this group. Matthew, we've got a bunch of men's basketball players ranked in this range. I'll just go through a few of them. We've got Tyus Battle at 75. Of course, you mentioned Jim Beheim being ranked a little bit highly at 74. Michael Carter-Williams at 70. Andy Rounds at 68, and it goes Tyler Ennis, Deion Waiters, Eric Devendorf. Deion Waiters is actually 57, which I thought was a little bit high. Are, what are your thoughts on these rankings, and are they adequate, and should they should they be changed? Yeah, I thought that the basketball, I thought they did a pretty good job. It's tough when you're weighing the one-and-done or, or two-year players versus four-year players. It's, you know, so tough when you're factoring in, okay, what kind of recruit were they? What were the expectations? That obviously plays a role. Uh, so, yeah, someone like Dion, sixth man, you know, respectable college career. By no means was he one of the best in Syracuse history, but has had a really good NBA career, even even this week in the bubble, you know, still, still doing his thing. Um, so, yeah, I thought he was high. Would definitely agree with you there. But then you look at a guy like Devo and, and Routens, who were around a while. Uh, Eric wasn't on too many winning teams, but Andy was. So does you give the nod to Andy? Um, although, you know, in a one-on-one, Eric probably beats Andy. So just a, a lot of questions surrounding these picks, uh, especially with men's basketball, because their careers vary so much. Uh, but for the most part, I, I did agree with that. Outside of Dion, I thought maybe the MCW, Michael Carter Williams could have moved up actually a little bit, even though his career was so short. Um, really, really talented player and, and uh, one one season really, and, and then became NBA Rookie of the Year. Uh, so he, uh, I know the the NBA doesn't factor into this ranking for, for Syracuse, but I thought he could have been a little bit higher, and and uh, maybe even Andy Routens too. Just given Andy played on so many winning teams, especially late, you know, later in his career, uh, a great shooter on on one of Beheim's best teams, you know, 2010. Got a lot of parody with the the basketball rankings here. You have some lifers, some Syracuse lifers, some one and duns. Andy <laughs> Routens, Michael Carter Williams, a six foot six guard at the top of the two three zone. That was pretty fun to watch. Now, Matthew, we're running out of time here, but we'd like to get this in. At this point, you know all about the ACC's approach to this upcoming season amid the COVID nineteen pandemic. Do you think it's going to work? It's a it's a question that everyone's dealing with. Right. My answer is no, I'm, I'm just not optimistic at all about about the, the football season, college sports in general. I think anything outside of a bubble is going to be really difficult. The college environment alone, let alone sports, is going to be really difficult. Right. Where, where you have 
you know, large numbers of students coming in from all over the place. I know there's going to be quarantine and testing and hopefully hand sanitizer, but reality is I don't know how much you can police students. And I think, you know, outbreaks are going to be inevitable. The medical experts have said there's already cases on college campuses. So I don't want to, uh, you know, bring a damper here, but just, just being absolutely realistic and, and for the safety of these kids and their families and, and the professors and staff, um, I don't, I don't see it happening in college overall. And therefore, you know, I think college, college football right now is, is seriously in question for, for the fall. Uh, you know, this starting in mid September, early September doesn't sound at all like it will happen to me, just given some of the surges uh, we've seen in recent weeks. Gee, thanks a lot, Matthew. Really appreciate that. Taking me <laughs> off of cloud nine. I'm all excited about this framework for COVID-19, a season amid the COVID-19 pandemic. And you're here to tell me it's not happening. Thanks a lot. Appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. No, I, I mean, just just my thought. I mean, I want sports as much as you do, as much as a lot of Q's fans out there. By no means is this me not, you know, not wanting the sports. I can't wait to, to get them back. I just think, you know, to have it done safely when, when you don't have the bubble, it, it seems like there's a lot that can go wrong. Well, Matthew, hopefully a lot goes right for Syracuse in 2020. Hopefully there's a season and a, and a successful season for the Orange on the Hill in every sport, but including especially football. And Matthew, again, thank you so much for taking the time. Wish the best to you and your family. Stay safe, okay? Thank you both so much. I really appreciate the time. When we return, we heard from Matthew Gutierrez, the expert. Now it's time to hear from you. It's Fizz Feedback on the other side. You're listening to Fizz Radio on the score 1260. Welcome back to Fizz Radio. Brad Klein and Thomas Schultz with you, and we're coming down the home stretch. It's time to hear from you, Orange Nation. Fizz feedback, and Thomas, I'll let you start. We begin with Elijah Hughes. So our first one is, will the NBA draft combine affect Elijah Hughes' draft stock? The options help him, hurts him, won't make a difference, and with 61% of the vote, Fizz feedback says that the combine will help Elijah Hughes, and I, I, I think it really won't make a difference. He's not the most athletic guy in the world, but he's a good enough athlete that he's not going to be hurt by it. Essentially, I think it will be kind of a wash for him. Yeah, I disagree. I think it's going to hurt. I agree with you, kind of. I think it's going to hurt him because the combine is where the way-too-raw freshmen from Kentucky that are still trying to figure out the game shine. And Elijah Hughes is a polished player. He lets the tape speak for itself. Yeah, I, I agree. I think he, you know he'll, he'll be fine, but maybe detrimental a little bit. Our second Fizz feedback is, who is most likely to step up in place of Cameron Jordan in 2020? Of course, Cameron Jordan left the team um, as he was slotted to be the starting wide receiver. The options are Anthony Queeley, Courtney Jackson, Sherrod Johnson, or Ed Hendricks. And with 46% of the vote, Ed Hendricks comes as the number one getter. And I, I, I kind of agree with his feedback here. And maybe it's more just me hoping that his recruiting rank really paid off and there's not much evidence of that happening so far because Hendricks has just dealt with injury after injury once he stepped foot on campus. He finally seems to be healthy. Now, will those injuries set him back from where he could have been if he didn't have those? Probably, and maybe he makes up that ground in this offseason. I think he has the most potential. I don't know that he's the most polished right now. Frankly, I answer this on the premise of who I want to see play the most, and it's Ed Hendricks. 
Yeah, Cameron Jordan just leaving the program earlier in the week, just mysteriously, no reason given. And that's a pretty big loss because he was projected to be a starter. Personally, I'm a Courtney Jackson fan, but Ed Hendricks, when healthy, he could be dangerous. Well, and here's the thing, which is very interesting, which I noticed when we put this together, is all four of those guys have redshirted. So there's a lot of depth. I mean, if there's a position that you can lose a guy at Syracuse, it's wide receiver because Dino Babers loads up every single year, and he's got four guys here who are experienced in the program, have redshirted, and probably are ready to go. And then we finish with Syracuse basketball recruiting rankings, Thomas. Yeah, and uh, our third fist feedback is, what are your expectations for SU basketball's 2022 recruiting class? Not 2021, where Benny Williams is in. 2022 with Dior Johnson. And this was a close one. The options were top five, top 10, top 25, lower than top 25. And it was a nail biter between top five and top 10. Fizz feedback says with 36% of the vote, Syracuse will finish with a top 10 class. 31% said top five. I think top five is a little unlikely. I, it's possible, of course, with Dior Johnson, you've got a lot of guys who you're in on chance. Westry is a top 25 recruit. Zion Cruz is a big time recruit. I do think it's going to be top 10, though. I think if you go lower than top 10, that's going to be kind of a disappointing outcome after landing Dior Johnson so early on. Top five is a little bit of a reach. If you go top 25 or lower, that's that's kind of a disappointment. Top 10 seems to be where they should land at when it's all said and done. Well, I feel like 10 to 25 is actually a pretty big jump. I mean, if you're 12th or 13th, there's really nothing to shrug your shoulders over with that. There's really, I mean, Syracuse's recruiting class is going to be elite either way. I'm especially interested in the the people that voted lower than top 25, the 6%. And I'm just trying to wrap my head around this one because you have Dior Johnson and he's a recruiter and it looks like the class is going to be so good. I think the only explanation there is that those people, that 6%, think that Johnson's not going to even play for Syracuse. He might go pro. Well, I mean, to add on to that, there might be another line of thinking because he was thinking about reclassifying to 2021. So maybe if he does that, they're thinking, all right, maybe you don't land Chance Westry. Maybe you're not in on Zion Cruz like you are right now. If he does go 2021, maybe we should have a recruiting poll of that ranking instead. Yeah, and there's a lot to unpack with the Syracuse 2022 recruiting class. You still don't know exactly how many scholarships they're even going to have to offer based on what happens in 2021. And who knows, if someone leaves early, you have a guy like Quincy Guerrier who is projected to have NBA potential. Does he make it to 2022, his true senior season? I don't know. Yeah, Quincy Guerrier is the one that's really intriguing here because he could go pro, like you said, Brad, and we actually have a good article about that on Orange Fizz on our website under the basketball section you can check out. But Jim Beheim's really improved his recruiting here. Of course, generally Syracuse has been around the 30 to 40 range in recruiting. 2021, 2022, it seems like they could be much better. Of course, 2022, they could be potentially top five, and it seems like a lot of Fizz feedback pullers think they will be top five. But regardless, Jim Beheim has incredibly improved his recruiting, and I don't think any of us really saw this coming, Brad, because it seemed like Syracuse was kind of middling in the 30s to 40s, but they've really taken a leap. That's all we have for you on this week of Fizz Radio. Thanks so much for making us part of your Saturday morning. Brad Klein and Thomas Schultz signing off, but hey, we have some more content for you on our website, orangefizz.net, and give us a follow on Twitter, at orangefizz. And a reminder, if you missed a part of this show, check out the podcast on our website, again, orangefizz.net. Have a nice weekend, everyone.